Psycho Steve presents. Psycho Steve, and you're listening to my podcast called Hair Today, Gone Tomorrow. Today, we are very fortunate and blessed to have my favorite bass player, Mr. Billy Sheehan. Good day, sir. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. Thank you for taking the time. I know you're a very, very busy man with all the projects that you're in. So... Um, we're going to get right started with a couple of the questions. Now, the bands that we all grew up and loved and still listen to, uh, such as Mr. Big and Catalyst and the David Lee Roth band, Mr. You know, formed. Unfortunately, we lost Pat this past year, unfortunately. Um, and then yes. you have Matt Starr, his shoes, correct? Yeah, we. Uh, I. I knew that, well, I met Matt in uh, L.A. We were uh, just some little jam thing. And a right. famous drummer got up from a famous band. And I thought, oh, this should be nice. It'd be nice to hear him play. And the right. famous drummer from the famous band was just awful. And I thought, is that the guy? Is that is that him? Yeah, that's him. He's the guy from the band, you know. And I thought, wow, that studios are amazing. That they, they, they pulled a track out of this guy because he really didn't seem like he had it together at all. And uh, then I was about to leave, and another drummer got up. I go, well, maybe because I always I'm watching the drum I'm the bass player. It's all about the right. drums. See the stuff on the internet. The most important guy, the band bass player, completely wrong. The most important guy is the drummer. That's everybody. Every everybody that's in a band knows that the drummer drives the band. So, so this next guy got up, and I just thought, you know, well, I'll hang out a little bit. And he did um, ACDC TNT exactly right. Right. Wow. I'm particular with a couple of songs, a couple of bands. If you're going to do their songs, you've got to do them right. You can't like do a jazz improv on an ACDC song. Play it the way it's supposed to be. That's the challenge. The classic right. music, you got to play it exactly as, as it's written. Play ACDC exactly the way it sounds. And he nailed it. It was great. He sang it, played it. So I, I talked to him a little bit, and I, I didn't think any more about it, but I thought, man, if anybody ever needs a great drummer that sings, I know a, I know a guy. And uh, right. for sure enough, when everything when everything started happening with Pat, we weren't sure what we were gonna do. Uh, we thought about like running track of the drums behind him, and uh, or, or having some electronic help, or mm-hmm. what else, whatever else. We thought, you know, anytime you get, and I've never, I can't say never. I have been in some bands. I was in a Japanese band. I just toured a Japanese band that used a lot of tracks. Uh, towards Virgil Donati and Tony McAlpin, where we played the tracks also, but it's but it's precarious because if, if it goes down, you're 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 doomed. You know, you 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 got no no place to go to. So uh, we didn't want to do that. So I thought, well, we could get another drummer and do have him do most of the night, and then Pat can play where he can play, and then he's there singing the whole time. So we we decided to go that route and, and it worked out pretty well, Pat. Uh, he couldn't, because he just didn't have the strength because it really just drains you because your body's shaking all the time. And, uh, right. He just didn't have the strength or coordination really to play a whole night, especially some of the heavier things. So right. I did the heavy lifting. I took my heart and a couple other things. But he was out on right. stage with us singing all the time. Then towards awesome. the, towards this last tour, uh, Pat could really only do one song and that was tough for him. And I could see him starting to fade out. And it was really great for him to have to have a reason to wake up, and get get 
together and get on stage, that challenge was a good thing. Otherwise, you'd be sitting home on the couch, you know. And, and but, but there comes a breaking point where it's no longer a good thing, and it's starting to become uh, too taxing for him. So he was, I could see it in his, and I talked with him a couple times about it. I said, Dad, if you want to go home, don't worry about it. We can we can stop playing anytime, you know. We'll, we'll figure figure it out from there, but you don't have to do this. There's no, no, I'll, let me, let me. Let me continue on. So unfortunately, uh, soon after that, we ended that tour. I had he had come out to Nashville to visit me for a drum. But the drummers of Nashville are doing a tribute to Bat Torpy. So they, all these drummers got up and played Bat Torpy songs. They played with the different bands he was in, and Mr. Big and Belinda Carlisle and uh, all, all these other uh, Robert Plant and all the bands he played with. Uh, so. Uh, I was with him during that time. I could just kind of tell it was not good. You know, he was, yeah. he was not doing well. And then, and then a, a few months later, uh, unfortunately, we lost him. So, but uh, so we we finished these last shows we just did. They were already booked while Pat was still alive, and so we wanted to just honor those commitments. And now I'm not sure what the band's going to do at all. You know, I, we'll see what the future may may bring. I said early on, I don't want to play. I don't want to be one of those bands where the only original thing on stage is the band's logo. You know, it's all different people. Was that? I totally get that. I totally respect that. Yeah, because you know, know, and Matt is kind of a part of the thing now, and he's he's a good guy, a great player. And he he and Pat were like best buddies, you know. But it's he's not Pat, and he doesn't play like Pat. And uh, some of those songs need Pat really badly. And he was a a monster player and a great singer as well. So Matt covers it for the most part, but it's not. It'll never be the same. You can't. You just can't have another person come in. It's like. They got a different fingerprint, different DNA. Something's going to be different about it. So, who knows what will happen with it? But at least we're all in a situation where we're in great, uh, in great relationship with each other. Myself, Paul, Eric, and Matt, and uh, everyone around the band. It was just a fun, enjoyable, wonderful thing. So, we'll see. We may do something next year, maybe as a final hurrah, but we're not sure. All right. So, wow. All right. Um, now, were you always? Did you? play another instrument besides play bass did you start playing bass and or was there an instrument first and then you evolved to be well, a bass the, player the first instrument i actually played was a drum kit a friend of mine down the street had okay. every uh, on, on every street and every neighborhood about every four or five houses there was a band rehearsing in the living room or the or the garage or the basement and that, that's when i grew up there was bands were everything and they were all over the place you could, as you're walking on a summer night, on a hot night, you hear one band fade out behind you and you hear the next one fading in uh, another 10 houses down. It was band ex- explosion. Furniture stores were opening up guitar sections, you know, that so they could sell guitars. It was just <laughs> a, a huge explosion. It was amazing. So so the first uh, thing I actually played was a, was a drum kit. I actually learned how to play a beat on it. It was I was kind of freaked myself out that I could actually play. It was cool. But then um, my sister got a guitar because she wanted. She was a singer. She liked a lot of folk music, and uh, so I would sneak in and, and play her guitar until she lost interest in it. And then I kind of became mine, and I told her I'd pay her thirty-five dollars for it, which I still owe her. So it's accumulated uh, interest. Probably is quite uh, significant by now. I, I imagine, and this was in the '60s, so that it's just some interest in, has accrued on that thing. Uh, wow. But around around the corner was a guy named Joe, Joe Hesse, and he was a bass player, and I wanted to be like Joe. He's a cool guy, and I wanted a bass, and I wanted to play bass. So, But it was harder to find a bass. That's why whenever you 
and any bass player that had a bass, uh, he automatically was in every band in town because bass players were harder to come by. You know, there's three guitar players, one bass player uh, ratio <laughs> easily, you know. So uh, my grandmother lived with us at the time, and she said, uh, as long as I'm alive, I'll never be a, a guitar, electric guitar in his house, meaning bass guitar. She didn't know what the difference was. So I was like, oh, man, that's, that's kind of rough. So sadly, she passed away, and with her insurance and pension uh, money that my mom got, because it was her mom, I got my, I bought my first bass, so... Uh, it was kind of a, a, I would always say we got an RPM meter on my poor grandmother's grave to see how fast she may be spending it, spending it at any given time, knowing that her insurance money went to get exactly what she didn't want in the house. So, uh, so I got I got my first base, my P base, and I went on from there. Nice. Do you still own it? I got it. Yeah, it's right here with me. Awesome. That's very cool. Speaking of bases, how many do you own? Oh, I don't know. I, I probably, I got about 40 or 50 instruments. Right. Not all basses. A bunch of guitars, a bunch of baritone instruments. Baritone guitars, baritone 12-string guitars. I sing and play on that a lot. Right. But not so much uh, uh, like valuable uh, classic collector's instruments. I got a couple old instruments, maybe three or four that have some actual collector's value. But everything else, mostly utility instruments that I've used through the years. Okay. Now, with all the current bands you're in, who comes up with the names? Sons of Apollo. Mr. Big also, I know, was a band in the 60s. Not your band, but there was another band called Mr. Big. Yeah, there was. Uh, But but the name actually came from a song by Free. Oh, okay. And that was kind of ironic because when I... We were rehearsing at the time and come up with a list of band names and Pat came up with one. I got one for you. What is it? Mr. Big. I go, perfect. Because back in the earliest days of Palace, the first song I ever did in another company bass solo in was Mr. Big by Free. We would go into the spot in the middle of the jam spot where the bass player kind of takes off. And I, one night I told the drummer and guitar player, I go, at that spot, just just stop and let, let me go. <laughs> this is about 70 Two or three, and uh, I was doing my first unaccompanied bass solo to Mr. Big, and uh, so fitting uh, that that became the band name. Uh, Sons mm-hmm. of Apollo. That was uh, that was Mike and uh, Derek named that one. Okay. The Winery Dogs was named by a friend of Richie's, I think, suggested it. It's tough coming up with a name because most all the good names are used up, and you see, we, we even came to a, a point in history where bands were just uh, having a word and a number after it, and that was how <laughs> they came up with their name, the only way to uh, separate themselves out from everyone else, but it's a tough thing coming up with a name. All right. At one point last year, I know there was a uh, David Lee Roth reunion show that was happening in L.A., but it was shut down by the fire marshals because so many people showed up. Um, any chance of that actually happening again? But like an actual full-length tour with you and, of course, Vi and David, of course, and this and that, I think, was playing behind the kit at the time. Yeah. Well, uh, that's that's almost true. Uh, in in L.A., there's there was a jam night at a club called Lucky Strike, Lucky right. Strike Jam on Tuesday night. And uh, the cool thing about the jam is you just jumped up on stage and played. No pedal boards, right. no nothing. Plug in, play, get off. And uh, it started out, it, it, it's just kind of run its course, but it started out pretty amazing because all these incredible bands uh, were coming up and singing and playing. I'm, I'm, I'm off the side of the stage, and all of a sudden I hear, Tom has come today. And I go, oh, it's the Chambers Brothers singing, Tom has come today on stage. Unbelievable. And they have 
all these guys are all these great old bands that live around or near LA and classic guys, new guys, all kinds of people, movie stars get up there and jam and everything. So, but the cool thing about it was well, you just jump on stage and play. No rehearsal, right. no sound check, no nothing, no monitor check, no nothing. Just get up there and go. And that really separates the men from the boys because so many people go out and they have to, you know, have a three hour sound check and do exactly perfect balanced stereo monitors. And, you know, we're back in the day, you went up on stage, you sung and played. I just posted a, uh, a video clip of the Vanilla Fudge playing on TV. Right. You can tell it's absolutely real. There isn't a monitor anywhere and they're singing perfectly and their pitches are flawless. And the vocals are the pitches right on. And that's how you had to do it because you really, I remember the first time I saw a monitor, I went, well, how could, what's this thing on the stage? You know, and mm -hmm. it's a monitor, a mantra, no monitor. Oh, ma well, that's that boring. We didn't even know. Uh, you know, we just kind of would turn the PA system a little bit. So it kind of would face the stage a little bit. We could kind of hear ourselves, but, but anyway, so back to lucky strike. Um, so we were just going to, uh, Greg Bessonette was in town. He called me, hey, you want to get up and play Lucky Strike? Go, yeah, sure. He goes, well, want to see if Steve's around? I go, sure. So Steve was around. Hey, good idea. Hey, maybe we can get uh, Ralph from uh, Steel Panther to come up and do a couple of Eat Him and Smile songs. That'd be great. Cool. Fantastic. And then somebody said, I'm, I'm not sure, Steve or Greg, said, well, maybe we should call Dave. <laughs> well, you can if you want. I doubt, I doubt if he'd want to do it. You know? So somebody put a call into him and uh about three days before the thing, and Dave calls back. Let's do it. So, holy cow! So we kept it totally close. It wasn't any kind of a reunion or official thing. It was a total jump on stage, play two songs, no rehearsal, no practice, no soundtrack, no nothing. That's that's what it was going to be. Unfortunately, it started to leak out a little bit. I don't know how it got out, but it leaked out. And there was a line all the way down to Hollywood Boulevard, and it turned and went down there, too. Now, the club screwed up, and they let all these people in. It right. shouldn't have been in the club. The club, uh, you, it holds, I think, 600. The fire department would let them get away with 700. There was about 1,200 people in there. Holy cow. So... I don't know how they, and there was, there must have been 3,000 outside. So I don't know how the fire department knew, but, right. uh, because I, I think they probably monitor situations like that. And, uh, because they, actually they were right to shut it down. If, if it would have been a problem, uh, right. it would have been a catastrophe. And I had friends around the audience who said it was, you couldn't get a drink. You couldn't, you, you couldn't, you know, your, your arms were pushed up against your sides. It was so crowded. It was, it was dangerous. So uh, we were on stage, curtain closed, ready to go. And I saw off of my peripheral vision, you can kind of see the hallway leading to the main area of people. You can kind of see through it. And I saw flashlights and firemen helmets. And uh, they came rushing in to shut it down, shut it down, shut it down. So we unfortunately couldn't play. But the good, the good part of it was we got to hang out afterwards. Me, Steve, Greg, uh, um, Dave, of course, and our keyboard player Brett. We were all there, and we 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 hung hung out and uh, talked and told stories probably till four four thirty in the morning. So uh -huh. we had a great time together. Unfortunately, we couldn't play, but but uh, you know, at the time there was talk of maybe something happening, but who knows? It's up to Dave if he wants to do it. I know, I know, we, we'd love to do it with him. So if you see. It's his call. Who knows? Okay. Speaking of musician friends, of all the bands that you are in and then you have been in, 
Um, like who are your musician friends? Like, like you could call, like, because hi, now you live in Nashville. It's a big difference from when you live in California, you know, you pick up the phone and say, Hey, you know, let's hang out. Let's go grab a beer or glass of wine or something. Do you have any like music friends that you actually hang out with besides being in bands with? Oh yeah. Uh, I, there's not much time to hang out cause we're all busy and on tour. Right. Every year I do a dinner. Every year we try to do a, a dinner of myself, Greg, this and that, Steve Vai, and Brett Tuggle. And almost every year we get together and, you know, we're on Christmas time and have a have a dinner and hang out and tell stories about everything that went on. Richie Cotton is a dear friend of mine uh, right. in, in Nashville here. Now, one of the reasons I moved here, too, is uh, um, Ray Lugier, drummer from Corn, he played on my uh, solo records. He's a dear friend of mine. He lives here in Nashville, too. A lot of guys live here now uh, from... Uh, all kinds of bands, and because uh, I'm 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 not never have been and never will be a country fan, but but uh, there's a lot of rock guys here. You see them all the time. So uh, yeah, of course, there's not much time to uh, socialize, and that's why the NAM show, NAMM National Association right. of Music Merchants, uh, every January in Anaheim. That's most musicians love. That's the only time you'll ever see the guys. Other guys are playing bands because that's the only time nobody's on tour. <laughs> this this mm-hmm. show and everybody seems to hang out there, so it's the only time you get to see people. Otherwise, everybody's on on tour. A lot of times at festivals, though, sometimes you'll see other band members and stuff. But you're all on that kind of the you all have to be playing on the same day or near the same time. You'll see some right. people, but but it's nice. That Nashville is nice, and I, I was in LA for 32 years. And, it was it was a it was a great run, but LA's kind of falling apart now. And a lot of musicians are kind of getting out of it too. It's expensive to live, and it's dangerous, and traffic is ridiculous. I just need to be near an airport so I can fly to where my gig is. And I, I wasn't like playing in in LA. It's just like I'm not. I don't play in Nashville really. I'll be you know I'll, I I'll be going out with Sons of Apollo in about two weeks. Do a show in Atlanta, then we go to Japan, then we fly from Japan to Europe do a whole bunch of shows in Europe and Russia and Israel and Greece and uh, UK all over the place. Now, is this your first time going to Russia and UK? I know you played UK, but have you ever played like Russia or yeah. Israel? I played there, like I played there okay. did uh, cl- clinics there, played there with Mr. Big, played there with uh, a bunch of different bands and uh, been there a lot. And also Eastern Europe too, like Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania. Uh, Czech Republic, Slovenia, Slovakia, all that's incredible rock and roll territory. They go nuts for it. It's so fantastic. Amazing fans. And uh, I was posting pictures of the festivals we were playing in Europe, and there's you know, 80,000, 60,000 people through as far as the eye could see. It's just incredible. Amazing stuff. So the, the, the rock scene and the festival scene in Europe is, is amazing. Uh, it's quite amazing, but just generally the rock scene. I mean, so many cities got great, great venues that have awesome dressing rooms and wonderful catering and a great stage, sound and lights. They're jam packed, and it's a it's a great, uh, great scene over there. Same thing with South wow. America. It's really, really a great rock scene. So America, unfortunately, not so much now because it, it's been kind of fractionalized by the lack of uh, I don't know radio, MTV, whatever. But uh, right. In Europe, South America, and in Asia, too. We just played in China with Mr. Big. Places were jam-packed. There wasn't anybody in the crowd older than 35, too. A very really? young crowd. So it was it was a, a good hope for the future. They're up for rock in China. They love it. Yeah. All right. So 
here's a really off the wall question. When you first got your first advance from either DLR band or Mr. Big, um, because those are the real big bands that really broke you out. Uh, what did you buy? Well, um, I, I never got an advance per se. I got like a couple times a publishing check or a, I remember the, the first couple of royalty checks I got were pretty okay. amazing. Me coming from a bar band in Buffalo, I had no idea that much money was involved. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, but I had, uh, the only two cars I'd had in my life were a, uh, a Ford LTD. I don't know what yeah. year it was, 70-something. It was a nice car, but it rotted out pretty quick in Buffalo Winters. And then my brother had a Ford Pinto. Wow. Uh, which which uh, he wanted to get rid of, and he talked me into buying it. So I had a, a, a LTD and a Pinto. And uh, when I left L.A., or when I left Buffalo for L.A., uh, okay. I gave the car back to my brother. And he sold it to a friend of his at, at his work. And he said he always knew where the car was parked because there was all these pieces of it laying in the parking lot. It was just it was falling <laughs> apart completely. It's unbelievable. Nice. The, the little the special tire they give you when you buy the car, the little fake tire in the back. I drove on yeah. that tire for two years because <laughs> I couldn't afford an actual tire. So uh, when right I got on. to L.A., uh, uh, I had a couple of... Uh, uh, just great weekly paychecks working with Dave right away before Steve was around, before we even had the band together. He just had me out there and we hung out and got together and did our thing. And so uh, when, I, when I started to accumulate enough uh, money in the bank, I thought, hmm, I wonder if, uh, if I should get a car. So uh, I've always been a Corvette fan, so I actually bought myself a new Corvette and uh that was, uh, I don't know if I would do that again today. I, if I could tell myself, go back in time and tell myself, don't buy a new car. It's the worst investment you can make. You know, but <laughs> fortunately I was in a, 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 I'd worked for decades, uh, and right. for nothing and, uh, in poverty. So finally, uh, I think came, came around and I did splurge on that, but generally I've never been, um, much of a spender. I, I, I pay off my bills and I, I, I save my money. You know, I've never collected anything or blew money. I never, I never did any drugs, so I never blew money on drugs or anything like that. I never got married prior to, to my marriage now, so I never had to, you know, split up my royalties with an ex-wife or anything. So I've been very fortunate uh, financially. But that, that was the one little step aside I did, too. I did get myself a... 1985 uh, red Corvette. Nice. Do you still own it? No, no. It's long okay. gone. I, uh, I had, I, I did, uh, I'm not a hot rodder, but there was a Corvette place close to my house. So I kept taking it there and having to do all these hot roddy things to it. And it was like okay. a rocket ship. It was frightening to, 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 but after I bounced around on that for years, right. I decided to get like a, like a, like a big sedan or a little more, more comfortable car. So I, right I was kind of tired. And it's, it's a loud car, too. You're in there and it's roaring away and I had to get a really loud stereo to get it louder than the engine. So I just I just went for the more comfort ride after that. Nice. So what do you drive now? A black car. A, a big black one. A caddy? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, uh, <laughs> okay. it's of German descent. Oh, okay. Nice. All right. But it's All nice, right? right? It's, just, it's, it's safe and it's nice and... and uh, It'll probably last me the rest of my life. Right on. 
So when you're in your car or you're out doing your hard work and everything, you have the radio playing or you're sitting by the pool, you hear a song of yours on the radio. Do you turn it off or do you still listen to it? Oh, I I don't know if I'd listen to it, but I certainly wouldn't turn it off. I mean, uh, I'm always pleased to hear that. I I remember being in the... uh, in airports around the world and like the Milano airport, they play music and videos in the airport. And I look up and there I was, uh, uh just recently too, uh, uh, with Mr. Big and, but yeah, it's, it's, it's cool. I, I love to be with you. I think it's a great, I love playing it. I love singing it. When we, when we perform it, we look out and we see literally tens of thousands of people smiling and singing along. Pretty amazing. Right. So, you know, I'm 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 really pleased with, with that song. A lot of people think, oh, you must be sick of that now. Plus, it's an acoustic thing. You must not be into that. We all love that song. We had to talk Eric into uh, putting it on the record. We, we, myself, Paul, and Pat, we love that song. So, so okay. having a number one single changes your life. Absolutely. All right. Um, now, you play mostly with your fingers. Uh, I, I've seen you perform, like I said. I've seen you from the Talis days to Mr. Big at Great Adventure in, in a town in Jackson, New Jersey. Uh, to the last time I saw you was at Sons of Hollow at the, um, it's called the Nokia Theater. The theater in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that was the last time I saw you um, you usually play with your fingers and you play extremely fast. Your fingers hurt after a show or after a while, you know, like, Oh yeah. It's uh, quite excruciating, especially when you're doing a show and you start getting hot and sweaty, your calluses yeah. get soft. Normally your calluses are nice and hard. So you can play really hard. It doesn't bother you. But when you get start, start getting hot and sweaty, they get soft and those strings cut right through. They're merciless. <laughs> they rip right through. So, and, there's, and you really don't notice it when you're playing. Right. You'll notice it afterwards. But I've been on, a lot of things on stage is this kind of adrenaline and a certain mindset. I've been on stage and I'm playing playing along and I notice my hands are sticky. And I looked down, oh, there's blood. I, I wouldn't even know where the cut for the blood was coming from. But I just noticed, uh, I'm, you know, I have blood on me. Because you don't really feel anything like that. You don't feel pain on stage. Right. It's quite, I don't anyway. It's, it's quite a interesting phenomena. But uh, yeah, it can it can hurt. Those those strings will dig right through your calluses. They get a little bit soft. They're stainless steel, and I've actually used them in the old days. If I had to cut a piece of wood and didn't have a saw, I'd take a bass string and use it as a wire straw and cut through a two by four with it. So it's Holy a crap. significant. It's a, it, it will tear you up. But but I like that. I, I like my and my hands torn up. Right. Uh, it, it feels good. Uh, it's it's a. Uh, you know, not necessarily uh, being masochistic, but I, I look to, you know, to push against the instrument, have it push back, and the results being in my fingers and fingertips of being torn up a bit. It, 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 to me, it's a signal that I'm at the right level of uh, strength. Nice. All right. A couple more questions for you. Sure. Uh, now, if you got a chance to play with any musician, alive or dead, who would it be? Well, um, that you haven't played with yet. And I know you've played with countless amount of people, but... Yeah, it's... Um, oddly, I'm the only person in the world that's played with every member of Van Halen. And it's, it's really? Kind of yeah, I played with Sammy, played with Michael, played with Alex and Ed, played with Gary Sharon, uh, and then I also played with Dave, of course, and I also played with Wolfie one time. But I didn't play music with him. He was... His, his dad, we, we did a benefit show in Chicago, and it was me, Pat Torpy, Steve Lukather, and Ned Van Halen. 
got up and played some songs. And Ed wanted to fly home. And he asked me if, if I wanted to come with him because he was flying in a private jet. I said, yeah, of course. So, and he, he had to pick up his son from his wife at the time, Valerie. And uh, so he wanted to sleep while he was in the plane. And so I occupied Wolfie by, you know, playing word games and coloring and getting some paper. And so I played with him, not music, but I, I played with him. So, but um, but as far as actual uh, players go, uh, Paco de Lucia was one of my favorite musicians ever. He was a, something that may not be uh, familiar, he is a flamenco player yeah, uh, from Spain. And uh, just so... Just in a tradition of music that comes so so severely from the heart and you must live it and breathe it in order to do it I was so impressed with his expertise and his level of artistry I'm, I, I don't think I'm, I'm near the level of player that could really play with him but I you know could I, I'd give it a shot <laughs> just to, just right. so because I just love his playing so much uh, Billy Cobham is another one I never played with Billy but I, I met him a couple times he really changed drumming when he came out with the Mahavishnu Orchestra I actually saw him before the Mahavishnu Orchestra in a band called right. Dreams uh, years and years ago live back in Buffalo uh, uh, Buddy Rich would have been amazing to play with because he probably would have yelled at me if I did anything wrong at all and uh, in a way, sometimes I, I would I would like to hear that because I'd like to hear him say what he thinks might be wrong. So I know exactly right. what to do to fix to please him. <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. I, I would like to when I play with other players, I, I like to have them enjoy what's going on. Uh, about about three years ago, uh, a friend of my wife's was a little songwriter, and she was at a music seminar I did, and I you know gave her a big pep talk and encouragement and stuff like that. She went on to start to do really well. And um, so she wanted to do a, a record. Uh, it was more country. She asked me to play on it. I said, well, okay, I can, I can play on it, you know. And um, so I uh, I walked into the studio, and the producer was some guy, some Nashville guy. This was while I was still in L.A. And uh, I know he looked at me and kind of subtly rolled his eyes like, oh, boy, here we go. Some rock guy's going to ruin the session. For us. I thought, I want to play exactly what this guy wants to hear. I don't care what it is, how simple it is, or how uh, elementary it is. I want I want to walk out here and have him be happy that I was, in, and I did. I, at the end, he finally found came out great. He was very, he's all pleased about it. So I like pleasing people that I play with. So uh, uh, you know that was one example. But I, I I don't always necessarily insist on doing my shtick. You know how. I, I want to do what's what's important for the moment, for the song, and for whatever artist I'm playing with, and uh, that was an example of that. All right. So, if you didn't become the rock star that you are today, what would you have been doing? Well, I would probably want to run a bikini shop somewhere, maybe. <laughs> okay. Or <laughs> I, I usually get a laugh on that one, but I, it's just. <laughs> <laughs> Or uh, I don't know, maybe uh, maybe in public office. I don't know. I, I uh, can articulate my uh, point of view, and I can get the job done. So I think right. I might have been able to do something along those lines. But I don't know. I don't know what I would have done without uh, playing. It is a. Uh, I'm supremely grateful that I found it when I did and how I did, and dove into it head first. And uh, as we're here speaking, I've got you know, I got my bass with me. 
all the time and in my house and I practice more now than I did when I was 16 or 17 years old when I was first beginning. I practice more than ever now. I show up at a gig, get in there about noon, uh, set up, do about two hours, take a break to get something to eat, uh, go at it again. The opening act starts. I get dressed and get ready to go on stage. And, uh, you know, I'm basically playing all day long and then do a two-hour show and then get done with that and repeat the next day. So I, um, I, I love that I found bass and I found music. And I'm a huge music fan, too. I've got uh, my iTunes is over two terabytes now. Wow. I was just about uh, to ask uh, you. So, like, what bands are you listening to today? Well, today I listened to the Vanilla Fudge thing, which was so amazing. I had to post it on my page. It was so great. But I listen to um, not a lot of really new stuff. It's mostly um, not too much past 1980 or 1979. Gotcha. But some things, some things, I certainly pop out. And I've got a huge collection of 60s garage rock. All these bands that never went anywhere, that never had a hit, but all these songs and records they did. You can't believe how many bands there were. And there were tens of thousands of bands that made records. And right. it's, it's a gigantic collection of 60s garage rock uh, that I have within my iTunes. Also, lounge music from the 50s and 60s. A uh, huge amount of classical music. It's probably my second to rock only. And then um, I, I label my folders in my iTunes library uh, if it's from a particular country. So I have Japan, and I have whatever artist it is from Japan, France. I have just about every country you could imagine, from Madagascar to Lithuania. I've got uh, song, music or songs or artists from from everywhere. It's quite interesting to hear. And, uh, yeah, a lot of... And also, I specialize in the worst music you'll ever hear anywhere. So the worst, most horrific, terrible records that were ever made by anyone. It's kind of interesting to see the dynamics between you hear, listen to Sinatra do Fly Me to the Moon with a Count Basie Orchestra, Quincy Jones conducting live in Las Vegas at the Sands. Unbelievable. Doesn't get much better than that as far as sheer incredible talent. Then let me play you this other guy. It's just an utter catastrophe. And uh, in your mind, you're thinking there was some, there was a guy in the engineering, you know, in the in the recording room with the console saying, all right, that's a take. <laughs> I'm wow. Something that's just, a, just an abomination. Though. But it's, it's amazing to see the heart and soul of people that get up and to a microphone without really much talent, but still go for it. And it's kind Absolutely. of charming in, in, in that respect. But I, I have some of the worst music. And some of it is so bad, it's great. Right. It pushes, pushes down the scale to so bad that it's actually amazing and incredible. Uh, it's a, it's it's, a, it's an interesting thing. So when people come over, a couple of glasses of wine, they go, "Let's do some iTunes." So we go down and I'll pull out some gems that I found recently or I have, and it's it's a riot. We have so much fun. We did the dog camp with the winery dogs, and our last night that we played, and after we played, uh, it was DJ Billy. So I went up there, started playing all this stuff, and all these people that were the winery dogs fans were at the camp. I started, you know, uh, quizzing them on certain things. Like I played this uh, a beer commercial. And okay, who's the singer? I had no idea. Who is it? Come on, you guys know him. Play it again. Who is it? 
it's Ronnie James Dio. And I find all these obscure things by these famous artists that you would never expect them to ever do. I got a huge collection of that, too. And, uh, so he did a, a lot of fun. Song a for a beer commercial? Say again? He did a commercial? Uh, he did a beer commercial? Yeah, I got Dio doing a beer commercial, yeah. That's pretty awesome. And I've got what kind him of also beer? doing... I, I forgot what it was. It might have been a, a New York State beer, because he, he, he was in a band down in... Uh, not far from Buffalo, New York. Okay. Uh, south of Buffalo. And I remember the, some of the guys that were in his bands around the early days. But, uh, right. but not only him, but you'll see, you know, we've got uh, uh, all these iconic bands doing uh, TV or radio commercials for different products or doing songs you would never act, ever expect. You've got Bon Scott doing uh, To Know Her Is To Love Her. Wow. Uh, you know, like a total, total ballad going on before he was an ACDC. So I use it also to illustrate to people that you know, people didn't just pop into their identity that you know them from. They came right. from somewhere. They came from somewhere else. And they came from somewhere and they learned their craft and they learned how to sing and do songs right. and real songs and great stuff. Then eventually they honed that down to their own art and they're the unique, amazing artists they are today. But they have a past and it's important to know that. So a lot of people would refuse to be in a copy band, right. a cover band where everybody was in a cover band. I got Dio doing a whole set of covers, Bon Scott doing a set of covers, Van Halen doing covers, everybody doing covers. The Beatles, of course. Uh, everybody, all, they were all cover bands. That's how you learn. That's how you learn the language. And then later on, when you started to write on your own, it all made sense. And you knew how to put a chorus after a verse. And next thing you know, you've got Yesterday and Hey Jude and all these amazing great songs. So, uh, but but it didn't just come out of the blue. It came from something. It came from right from uh, people listening to things. I've got a, a great a record collection of all the songs the Beatles used to listen to and the songs that inspired them. Anyone right. that they've ever mentioned any anywhere in any interview, and they collected all those songs together. And you hear where the, you hear the beginning elements of a lot of their music, and you see where it comes from. There's, there's nothing just comes out of the blue. It comes from somewhere. And so it's great. Uh, iTunes collection like that helps to illustrate things like that, especially when I'm doing a seminar or a clinic on music. Sometimes I'll bring it out, play some examples for people. Nice. And you mentioned the Maha Vishnu Orchestra. I'm definitely a big fan of John McLaughlin and a lot of right. people think I am just a hard rock guy. I'm like, yeah, I have a hard rock exterior, but, you know, schmaltzy, as my grandmother would say, soft interior and everything because I do love my jazz and I found out that one of the kids I went to high school with his father was in the Mahavishnu Orchestra he, his name is really? Dal Roy Indian drummer his name is Dal oh, Roy oh yes 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 wow so, oh, cool. yeah and he was in the Lions Club with my father and he's just like oh you know um, my father one day he's like oh you want to come to a Lions Club meeting with me I'm like sure why not and he's like okay he's like oh I'll introduce you to uh, the members and one of them, he's a musician. And I'm like, Oh really? And I'm like, okay. And I'm thinking my dad's older than Methuselah. So I'm like, who's going to introduce me to? And then he's like, Oh, the doll, come over here. And this is my son, Steve. Steve, the doll. I'm like, nice to meet you, sir. He's like, Oh, you know, my, your father told me you're in the music industry. I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I've been in the music industry over 50 years. I played, and you're probably too young or probably don't know the Mahavishnu orchestra. And I'm like, uh, yeah. And he's like, really? I'm like, yeah. He's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, I played with them for several years. I'm like, wow, cool. And he oh, played cool. with Jacob's stories and 
He was telling me stories about that. I was fine. Oh, great. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I just actually uh, touched base with a friend of mine I went to high school with. It was a neighbor of mine that right down the street. They were my first bands with him ever. We played in our little high school assembly one time. He was right. a sax player. He went on, he played with uh, Buddy Rich, uh, Woody Herman, Maynard Ferguson, a lot of big bands. Great, great player. From, from, but I've kind of lost touch with him over the years. And uh, I posted it on my Facebook also a couple of weeks ago. But it's, it's him doing a solo, some show somewhere, uh, full big band, a big audience. And he goes up and does a solo that will tear your head off. <laughs> Amazing. Mm-hmm. Mike, Mike Migliori is his name. Just a great, I'll definitely great, have to great check them out. Yeah, just look up Mike Migliori, M I G L I O R E, sax. It is with a um, he's with the Maynard Ferguson Orchestra doing a big solo by Starlight, and he stops, right. and kills. He, he's so great. Awesome. In my very early years, I did a lot of jazz stuff. Right. So now on your downtown, you told me in the beginning of the interview you, because you just moved to Nashville. Um, you're doing a lot of things around the house before you go back on the road on touring with either the Sons of Apollo uh, or the Winery Dogs. What do you do for fun? I do my iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Much. No, I cook a lot. I, I cook. Uh, there's a couple rumors of me, uh, somebody doing some kind of a cooking show. They wanted to maybe invite me on it. Uh, I'm not sure of the particulars of it, but uh, I do some pretty serious cooking. My mom was a great cook, and uh, we like that. My wife's from Italy. She's from Milan. And she okay. uh, you'd think automatically she was, would outrank me as a cook, but but uh, she has her specialties. But I do the heavy lifting on a lot of the uh, uh, cooking uh, that we do uh, around the house, and it's just pretty darn good. Uh, we awesome. uh, get a couple couple specialties so I, I do that but that's just you know enjoyment later on but we're always you know as we're here cooking and hanging out uh, I'll, I'll definitely get to my I can access my uh, iTunes from my phone and then play it over my phone also find some obscure track that I know she's never heard but I know she's going to like I remember I played the, the first Chicago record was my first band was with that sax player I mentioned right out of high school Mike Migliori and uh, right. With four, four horns, uh, guitar, bass, drums, keyboards, three singers. There were 11 guys in a band. I hope I added that up, right? Uh, and we uh, we did Chicago Blood, Sweat, and Tears type music. So the first Chicago record was one of my favorite records ever. And, right. Uh, very Beatles influence, too. But I remember playing that for her, and she's like, how come I don't know this? This is so great. It was just, a, it was just an amazing. You, know, you think Chicago, oh, oh they kind of went commercial, man. Had hits, you know, Baby I Love You and all that. Uh, but, but when they started, they were an underground heavy band that uh, huge on college campuses and really uh, an amazing improvisational, incredible band. So uh, later on, they went commercial. Good for them. They finally got paid off. But uh, the first couple of records were amazing. Right. Very progressive. I actually watched a special on them. I think it was on Netflix. They did like a. A bio, autobiography. Yeah, the, the documentary. Yeah, oh, man, it was great. It was so incredible. Great. Right? Uh, you said you like to cook and you like to do the music thing. Any chance but I do, of a I, book coming out, like writing a book? I, because uh, the memoir. People talk to me a lot about it. I've 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 kind of uh, sketched it out in my mind a couple of times. Right. Uh, you know how I would approach it. Uh, what what I would include in there, and uh, it's um. Kind of an ongoing idea. Right. I think uh, I could do a book. I'm I'm quite an avid reader, so I, 
I do read a lot, so I, I, I kind of understand what it takes to do a book. Not that I can do it, but I understand what it takes to do a book that keeps people's interest. It makes people excited and stick with it and make it be a page turner. Because some, some of the great books that I've read are so exciting to me, I, I would, I would want to emulate that to, to some degree to try to make a book that's entertaining. You know, and people can, can dive into it and enjoy and, and, and find some uh, entertainment within it uh, for themselves. So I, I thought about it, but I think it would be good because there's a lot of stories that uh, that uh, aren't, aren't generally uh, told. Uh, right. Unfortunately, some of them are kind of performance art. I got to have a, you know, sit around a table with a bunch of people and a couple of bottles of wine, and then we get into the actual real stories, and those are hilarious. But it's kind of right. I'm, I'm wondering how do I actually put that down in print? Because I kind of stand up and act out the part sometimes when I telling about some wacky story that happened God knows where. So there's probably a way. There's probably a way. But uh, gotcha. we'll, we'll now, come up with it. Yeah. Have you read any of your fellow band, former bandmates books? Like, did you read Dave's book, Sammy's book? Yeah, yeah, I, I did. They were they were okay. I, I noticed a bit of uh, carefulness to not go too right. far to say something, but not go far enough where you catch my interest. You know, so I think you have to be in a state of mind and in a state of life where you can say, you know what, I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to tell what really happened. Uh, if you do it too soon in your career, people won't, won't want to be around you because they don't want you writing about them later in the same way. I think Sammy right. Hagar, as is, is, is revealing as his book was about the Van Allens, I, I think he should have waited another 10 exactly. and By that time, he probably wouldn't, wouldn't even, even wanted to. Cause I don't know if that really serves a great purpose. So it was entertaining and some of the stuff I, I, I knew about and uh, had heard about and had witnessed too, uh, as far as the situation going on in that band. But uh, but I, I also didn't like hearing, and I didn't like the negative, you know, because I'm a fan. I don't, I don't really. Right. That's why I, uh, Greg Renoff's book on Van Halen I loved. It was a great, great book. He, he didn't do any dirty, uh, no dirty laundry in that one. It was really great. All right. So. What is next for Billy Sheehan? Well, uh, my wife gets in tomorrow. Right. Uh, she stayed behind in Milano to hang with her mom a little bit longer. And uh, I've been doing all the home handyman stuff around the house like a madman. Right. So I've got the, uh, uh, the uh, I had to hire a, a guy to do a couple things to come in. and uh, But I, most everything else I did myself. And uh, so right. the house is in really good shape. And I've been practicing like a madman. I'm about to ship a lot more of my instruments into the Nashville area. There's so so a lot of them stored in L.A. So I'm excited to have them here with me. I'd like to go through them all and get them all up to speed so they're all actually perfectly playable and workable. And right. uh, I just uh, will be starting with Sons of Apollo soon. I love right. playing in that band because uh, playing that double neck bass, I play the low strung bass. A lot, and it's really hard and heavy and giant. And there's a keyboard player too, so so I don't have to. I really don't have to fill in a lot of stuff. I can have like one note, and then take a big long rest and hit another note. So it's it's an interesting, uh, different thing for me that I don't have to try to fill up what's not there. I kind of I got to leave holes for everything that is there. It's, it's it's very enjoyable, and it's just a heavy, cool, fun band and. Uh, I, I, I think we're going to do some uh, winery dogs next year. 
uh, well, he was my favorite band. I love Mr. Big's my heart and soul. Uh, Sons of Apollo, I have a riot with, but I, I love the Wandering Dogs. That's, uh, that's really, uh, that's my thing. You know, there's, there's a lot of singing. Three-piece band. I was heavily into three-piece bands, Grand Funk Railroad, Three Dog Night. And even right. bands that had a lead singer, they were basically three, three-piece band with singers. So uh, that's my thing. So hopefully we'll do some shows with uh, Wander Does next year. And we'll see what happens with Mr. Big after that, too. Awesome. Well, I very much appreciate it. And I know a lot of my fans are your fans as well. Um, I'm glad to hear that. Very glad. Absolutely. Um, uh, we definitely want me to plug away, like where we can get in touch with you. Like me, I've been hounding you forever to get you on. Um, but ah. how can people find you? I know you're on Facebook. Well, you can find me on my. Um, I handle all my social media myself. So anybody writes to me, it goes right to me. Uh, if you go to my website and click email me, it goes to Billy at BillySheen.com. That's my email address. It's been my email address my whole life since email started. And I get it, and I read it, and it comes right to me. I read everything. I try to answer as much as possible. Right. Uh, uh, generally, I, I, I'm pretty successful at it. Once in a while, I get backed up, and I get behind things a little bit. But I, but I generally do manage to respond to everybody uh, at some point or another. I appreciate more than uh, words can describe uh, the people that come uh, see me play and buy my stuff and listen to my music. So I, I'm very pleased to communicate with them. And uh, I remember doing a, like a base clinic somewhere. I said, how many people got an email from me? I think 90% of the room raised their hand. That's awesome. They, I, 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 but I like it. And it's uh, it's great. It enables me to put my thumb on the pulse of what's going on out there, too, and see what people really like and you know what, what, they, what their opinions are, which are important to me. And uh, awesome. I've got a great, great, great relationship with uh, the people that uh, come see the bands I play. And so I'm, I'm, I'm very pleased about that. So anybody can write to me through my website. I may have Facebook, on Instagram. If they write to me, I will get it. Excellent. Well, you heard it here first. Hopefully it never lasts. When the new album comes out, I'll definitely harass you again. Talk to you about great. coming to see you live and also have you on again. Thank you very much. All right, Steve. We'll talk again. Uh, have a so. great weekend. You got it. Take care. You too, man. Thanks, Thanks. bro. Bye-bye. Psycho Steve presents You can hear more from Psycho Steve on Hair Today on Tomorrow every Wednesday on iTunes and SoundCloud. The interview sessions are also on YouTube. Get your merch at Zazzle.com backslash Psycho Steve presents Hair Today Gone Tomorrow. Follow Psycho Steve on all social media platforms. Facebook at Psycho Steve Rocks. Instagram at the underscore real underscore psycho underscore Steve. Twitter at Real Psycho Steve. For requests or dedications or if you're in a band and want us to play your music or be interviewed or for advertising inquiries, email us at psychostevepresents at gmail.com. Psycho Steve Presents Hair Today Gone Tomorrow is brought to you by Pearlswag Enterprises, LLC. Please join Psycho Steve every Wednesday and Friday here on 